0: I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to the jazz session with our dad, Jason Crane.
1: Lesson One Basic Hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 433 for Monday, April 14th, 2014. On today's show, guitarist Eric DeVito... Thanks to the new folks who have joined since the last episode, George Caldwell and Ed Rosenberg III, who was actually a guest on last week's episode and became a member in the interim. And I think actually George joined even before last week's episode, and I think I forgot to read his name last week. So my apologies, George, and thank you very much for becoming a member. If you would like to be like George and Ed, and of course you would, it's super cheap. Membership is five bucks a month. It gets you free MP3s with every show, and now that the show has gone weekly, that's going to be a lot of mp3s over the course of a year for 5 bucks a month. All you have to do is go to the slash join type in a few little bits of information, you'll make a donation with PayPal that'll just recur each month for 5 bucks, and you will get links to your mp3s. You'll get a, an email from me that has a link to the member page with your username and password. And then you can just go in there whenever you want and download the MP3s. For this episode, we'll have free MP3s by today's guest, Eric DeVito, and also one from Matthew Silberman. While you're online, or on the line, as uh, friends of mine used to say, you should go to thejazzsession.com and leave a comment on today's episode. Let me know what you think of the show. Let the guest know what you think of the music very much appreciated if you do that and also if you go to itunes and leave a review and a star rating there obviously the higher stars are great and nice review is great and that helps the show just kind of shoot up in the itunes rankings and means that it's more likely that other people will find it the same way you did so uh, please do leave a rating and a review there for the show This is the second interview of the five that I did on my most recent trip to New York City, and I wasn't sure it was going to happen at all. As I mentioned in last week's show with Ed Rosenberg, my recorder didn't work when I got to Ed's house, and luckily enough, Ed had his own in-house system for recording the interview, and we did it that way. And then after the interview at Ed's house, the recorder worked just fine, you know, still at Ed's house. We didn't use it, but I turned it on and it worked just fine. So I went all the way from the side of Queens, Ed lives in, to the other side of Queens, where Eric lives, and the recorder didn't work again, and this time there was no workaround solution, but Eric and I just made small talk for a while, and after maybe 10 minutes or so, the recorder worked, and we got the interview. So here, with no further ado, is some music from Eric DeVito's new record, Second Time Around, and after we hear that, we'll hear my conversation with Eric DeVito. (laughs) My guest is guitarist Eric Devito, whose new album is "The Second Time Around." It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: You on this record, and I guess I'll let you say this, but focused on uh, kind of arranging and the Great American Songbook, which is a switch from the first album. And so I thought maybe we could start with you talking about why you made that decision.
2: Yeah, um, that's great. Um, the first record I did, um, I kind of wanted to feature my own original tunes. Also, um, it's a little, it was a little easier. Um, to do my own original tunes and budget reasons, of course, you know, things like royalties and licensing. But also, I just wanted to feature my original music. Some of the music for that record, for the first record, was written a while ago, so I was really looking for an opportunity to kind of document it and get it. So um, when I did that, I really wanted to turn my focus to something that I do just as much, which is, you know, play standards. So I almost kind of look at the two records as being kind of like part of one thing so it kind of took me two records to kind of showcase all the things that i feel that are you know part of my musical voice writing my own tunes and arranging my own tunes and then kind of featuring standards and i wanted to do a mix of some you know traditional standards which i do a lot but also some you know feature some more modern composers like wayne shorter and joe henderson and and uh composers like that that i kind of are very much into so so yeah so the second record i I wanted to kind of show that other end um, and since it was mainly a trio record, when I'm playing trio, um, I end up probably doing more standards, whereas a lot of the tunes that I write are usually arranged for a quartet or larger kind of stuff. So,
1: You know, an obvious question when you're talking about covering standards, whether modern or stuff from farther back, is how do you find something to say on all that material? And so, right, how, did you, yeah. how did you approach that
2: question? Well, um, you know, I like to think of myself as, you know, a, I guess a straight ahead jazz guitar player but you know I, I when I went to school and the people I studied with were very much kind of came from the bebop language you know I, I studied at Queen's College um, you know with Antonio Hart and Mike Mossman and Paul Ballenbeck, so you know you they make sure you get a well-rounded kind of bebop education and then even when I studied Ukraine crane at, with Brett zavacek you know you learn a lot of bebop but um, actually when I was in crane I was got very much also into um, you know Modern kinds of playing, you know, I got introduced to things kind of outside the bebop realm, experimental kind of stuff, or even just different kinds of, um, like Canadian musicians and guys on the ECM label and things like that. So I kind of have always had both a traditional approach and a more, you know, maybe less traditional kind of approach. So I always felt that it was kind of like a mix of those two things. So I don't know, when I approach a tune, I guess it depends on, you know, like the day of the week, and very much it depends on the rhythm section that I'm playing with. Um, But I kind of wanted to showcase both of those things a little bit, so I wanted to pick tunes that kind of lended themselves, you know, to sounding, I'd say like somewhat on the traditional side, but to kind of show like a foot in the forward moving direction. You know, I I like to think when I'm playing I'm... You know, to me, jazz is about pushing forward, but at the same time kind of, you know, paying uh, homage to what was done in the past, you know, so I try to like juggle those two things a lot. And then it just depends really on like, you know, the direction of the tune and the rhythm section I'm with and things like that.
1: Someone who was on the show a while ago said that um, you know so many people are focused on writing their own music, but there's a there's a real creativity and originality to arranging as well. There's a way to really bring out who you are in that.
2: Yeah, I mean and that's that was another thing with my first record. You know, every tune except for one Bill Evans tune I did, every tune was original, so I didn't really have to worry about it not sounding original. But with the second record, I wanted to make sure. It didn't just sound kind of like a jam session, like, you know, I was coming in and just playing, you know, playing, we were playing the heads, playing the solo and playing the heads. I didn't want that kind of vibe. So I wanted to kind of have little kind of arranging touches here and there. Some some things I kind of wrote out, some intros. Sometimes we'd mess with the form. Sometimes we'd do some non-traditional things to kind of make each tune almost like a mini arrangement with it itself. So it didn't just sound like we sat down and just were playing a tune kind of thing, you know? Some things I did, you know, reharmonizations. sometimes I uh, kind of did more unorthodox um, form things. Um, you know, I'm thinking one tune in particular, when I did Inner Urge, I wanted to, I uh, wanted the melody to be played on the drums, you know, and uh, so kind of things like that. I, I wrote an intro and a re-harm for um, and, uh, Stella by Starlight, um, I think that one, I don't know if actually that one made it on the album or not, that my reharm, but things like that and the tunes and then of course the, the ones that are original you know they're kind of have their own uniqueness to them but yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it is a challenge to to make the standards not sound like you know you've heard them a hundred times before and and i kind of wanted to make it sound like if i was playing live like if i play those tunes live you know i there's a spontaneity to them that you know i might just start playing the tune from the bridge or i might tell the bass player to play the head or i might you know do something in the middle of the tune And I kind of wanted to capture a little bit of that on the record so it didn't just sound like we sat down and played a bunch of tunes and that was it. ¶¶
1: Talk about the trio you've got on this record, or the other two bandmates. I
2: yeah, um, I was very blessed for for this record. I have um, bass player that I used on the first record, Corcoran Holt, a uh, great New York bass player. He tours with Kenny Garrett, and I actually know Corcoran from uh, grad school, also at Queens College. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to keep that connection, and he's uh, very generous to you know do gigs with me when he's in town, which is not you know often, but. When he's in town and it works, uh, he came in for this date. And, and talk
1: about what you need in a bass player in a trio set.
2: Well, um, that's a good question. Because, you know, I feel that my sound is kind of my sound. But, you know, if depending on the bass player I have or the drummer I have, it's it's like a totally different, totally changes how I might do things. You know, how somebody's going to react. Um, you know, Corcoran is, just has great ears. And he... I think is also very firmly rooted in, like, a bebop tradition. But um, he's also, you know, into pl- his playing with Kenny Garrett and stuff, very kind of, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with, with Kenny Garrett's records, you know, like, big sound. And, you know, if you ever go to see Kenny play, I, I'm, one of the things I'm always struck about that group is, you know, it's you never know what they're gonna do, and everybody's just reacting all the time. I know he plays, you know, like two drummers sometimes, so that kind of vibe, I like that. So even though I'm not, you know, my trio isn't providing that kind of sound. Corcoran has that kind of readiness about his playing, um, so he can do so many different things. He can, you know, just walk really. He, he swings like harder than like so many bass players I know for when I want less, like a real swing and sound. But you know, it's a couple tunes on my records that are a little different. You know, like Sunscript, which is a little more kind of ambient and he can really add you know more of a whether it's a drone or almost be very more melodic on the bass so he can kind of play all of those roles and he's just really really rhythmic his time is great in his rhythm so he's kind of like in my opinion is kind of like the all-encompassing bass player so i kind of just never have to worry he will always kind of instinctively find a vibe that works so i'm always this and he's got so much energy you know so uh i'm always very blessed to play with him it's always a lot of fun and you know we're playing together pretty often now he knows my tunes so sometimes my tunes can you know require a rehearsal or two Um, so it's nice to now when we play my tunes you know he knows the tunes and so it's a little more you know everything's more comfortable a little bit Uh, the drummer is actually a friend of mine from the Crane School of Music Alyssa Falk and she's a phenomenal musician and drummer and also a very good friend Um, so we stay in touch and I just, I actually wanted to use her on my first record, um, but she was having her first child. So a few weeks before the session, she couldn't do it, obviously. And so I was upset, but I understood. (laughs) So, uh, and, and the drummer I have on my first record is a great drummer. I also gig with him all the time. I mean, he's just as as great a musician and everything but um, I I just because I have such a history with Alyssa I really did want her on the first record and it didn't work out so I I made sure that she didn't have any kids in the time span that I was doing my second record Uh, no but so she was available so I used her for that and her playing is very different than and a lot of uh, drummers that I play with and you know we always try to you know we always joke about it we say well like oh you're a girl so you play like a girl but in a good way you know but you know, I'm I'm sure that's not really why, but she's very uh, sensitive. Her playing is is I find it to be very, um, maybe a little more introverted. I I like it for like trio playing. It's you know sometimes I think of like a palm motion kind of vibe or, but and and she tours and has gigged a lot with a lot of uh, Canadian musicians. I know people like, um, I think Ingrid Jensen and and people like that. So I know she's very into the Canadian. Musician scene. And, you know, I've been up there a few times playing and and listen, and there is a little bit of a kind of different vibe up there. You know, I think a lot of those ECM musicians, a lot of them are Canadian musicians. And I I don't know, I always notice there's like just a difference, you know, and it's in a good way. And I feel like she she has a lot of that little more introspective, um, almost. She almost plays the drums in like a more of an orchestral way. And she's a great orchestral and classical percussionist too. So that vibe and the colors she uses. I also happen to really like the way she tunes her drums. I'm not always sure what it is, but her drums are very whenever she plays, I always notice like the tuning of her drums. So, you know, some for personal reasons and also I just kind of like the the musicianship that she adds. It's 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 a little bit different than than what I, I would say the common drummers that I use. Um And I I almost feel like it helped kind of fill out the trio to sound a little more orchestral and things like that. And uh, so she was like my first choice for that. And um, yeah, it worked out great. And she couldn't make all the gigs, like the New York gigs and the release gigs. But um, she did come up to Canada when we did the Canadian release, which was great. And actually Corcoran didn't make it up to Canada. So, you know, I'm kind of always mixing and matching my rhythm sections. So uh, it's... But, I, you know, I actually like that because then I don't get tied into, like, one way of playing. And it's it's also really refreshing for me. If I keep playing with the same rhythm section, we might kind of start to kind of fall into our habits and and kind of anticipate what we're going to do. But sometimes if I play a tune with a different bass player, it just takes on a totally different vibe. And I almost feel like, you know, I'm keeps the tunes fresh for me. You know, it keeps them changing and doing different things so i don't start making them stale or playing them the same way or always starting with this intro we're always doing so i I really like changing it up and i have a, a few core you know maybe like two or three kind of trios that i mix and match and rotate through of people i know they know my tunes and this and that so it's nice i like to keep it fresh but sometimes i just you know if i play with somebody that i've never played with before you know and we try one of my tunes which you know could go either way if they don't know the tune but it's always refreshing to hear kind of you know, how different people react to it.
0: Skylark, have you anything to say to me? Won't you tell me where my love can be? Is there a meadow in the mist Where someone's waiting to be kissed Skylark Have you seen a valley green with spring Where my heart can go a journey Over the shadows and the rain To a blossom-covered lake and
1: talk about the session the recording session itself
2: yeah we did the session uh, at systems two in brooklyn which is like just one of the i think it's like the holy grail of jazz recording sessions i was very lucky to to get in there and um we did it over two days and i think it was back in july or august um and the reason we did it in two days is because i had some special guests i had uh, steve wilson who uh, another person that i was very honored and who was generous enough to come in and and uh, do some tunes with us, and I had a great vocalist, Mavis Swan Poole, so I kind of wanted to, I didn't want to cram it all into one day, because I remember from doing my first record, I split that up into two days, and it was, it kept you from like kind of watching the clock, and you know, it's a little more expensive, obviously, but I felt like, you know, more comfortable, and having, being able to take some time, spend some time listening to the, you know, takes, and um, you know, not not always watching the clock and having that kind of press on you, you know, when you're trying to be creative. So we split it up into two days. So the first day, um we tried to bang out all the trio stuff that day. And then the second day, we had Steve come in so we could kind of focus on the quartet stuff. And then we had Mavis come in. And, you know, that required some different setup. So I knew that, you know, with the trio stuff, we could just kind of bang each tune out as we went. But I had to use some different guitars and different setups around the room for um, the quartet stuff, so we split it up that way. What
1: was the feeling like as the day progressed?
2: You know, whenever I'm recording, it's always I always I always kind of before the session, I guess. You know, I have a lot on on my mind. That's one of the reasons why I hired um, Ez Weiss, one of my buddies, to uh, produce again. He produced the first album, and I really like his kind of approach to making albums so you know i want i like to as much as possible kind of feel like one of the sidemen when i'm doing an album you know so i feel like okay i'm just you know i want to go in there and play it the best i can but you know when you're doing a record there's so much other stuff to think about and i didn't really know this on my first record you know it was only because of ez who would you know remind me of all these hundreds of things to think about that had nothing to do with playing you know whether it's arranging and solo orders and you know keeping the tune order variety and um you know not starting every tune off with a guitar solo and not having all the solos go in the same order thinking about changing the tempos as the you know so picking that order and then just like really practical things like you know making sure there's like food and lunch for the guys and the band and and uh you know scheduling rehearsals so all this other stuff that you know you have to think about is kind of like, can sort of get in the way of sometimes the creative process. So having Ez help me with that was really important. When I did the second record, I was a little more used to it. So it was like a little more relaxed that way, but I still wanted to kind of go in there and feel like a musician. So I feel like right before the session, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of weighs on me and, you know, maybe I'd be like a little anxious about doing. But once I kind of sit down and start playing, then I think a lot of that just kind of goes to the background and I try as much as possible to, um, you know, just feel like I'm, I'm performing, you know. And it's hard, like, you know, knowing you're being recorded is always a little weird. Um, So now I just kind of try to, I almost don't think about it, I guess. You know, I, I don't really, sometimes I'll just, we'll just play and they'll just keep it rolling. And I'll just think of it like that. You know, I'll say, let's just play the tune. And if it's a good one, it's a good one. If it's not, we'll do another one rather than, kind of, you know, I don't like to feel like I'm in the studio as much if I can help it. Sure. So, um, but this studio in particular was really amazing. I, I remember the engineers and, and everybody at the studio, they're really professional and they're really good at making you feel comfortable. So they take care of everything. You know, that that's another big thing is uh, it. the studio is really a bigger part of it um, than I realized. And I'm sure people who do a lot more recording or have more CDs um, or more records out know this, but I didn't really know how much of an impact the the engineers have on like me f- feeling comfortable and creative, but it's huge, you know, they them just, you know, understanding the kind of sound you want. So, you know, setting up the right kind of mics and, you know, uh letting you come in and 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 even when you may, if you make a mistake, you know, them telling you, you know, don't worry about it. We, you know, this this and that or we can do another quick take or You know, if there was a a, something fell or there was a no, you know, anything, they can just fix anything. So it's just, you know, you feel as much as possible, like very comfortable and relaxed, like I'm just playing a gig or something. So um, as the day progressed, it was, you know, much more actually really like right after the the first tune or two, it was really kind of I just started to not really feel like I'm in the studio as much anymore. and, And that was nice. So. They, they were very, very, very a big part of, of making this record. I would do, like, if I was going to do another record or when I do another record, I would definitely, definitely do it there. It was very important. So, yeah, that's kind of the 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 vibe that I took. You know, I, I think you start out initially a little bit anxious because there's kind of, like, months of planning that went into this. Uh, and then you're thinking, like, oh, I only have these two days to do all this. And, you know, I spent all this money. And, you know, I I was, you know, lucky enough to have a record label kind of, you know, Um, take on this project for me, but still, you know, I want to make sure that they're, you know, getting a good product for their money and that it's representing, you know, the work that I've done. So, you know, I think to to not be a little anxious is, you know, would be lying. I'd say I, I would go in there a little anxious, but maybe with like a, you know, like a good nervous energy. And then when you have confident players and, you know, I've done my work and everybody is, uh, you know, talented and in the, including the studio, it just kind of makes it more comfortable. And, and So I was pretty comfortable. And then even when Steve came in, I remember being like, oh, wow, Steve Wilson's here. Like, well, man, like, I kind of found it not difficult, but, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to tell Steve Wilson, like, what to do. Like, he's Steve Wilson. Why should I, you know, he and he's so humble and generous, you know, and he would ask you, you know, do you want this? Do you want me to play like, and I'd be like, you know, you're Steve Wilson, just play like what you want. But um, so I found it a little strange to kind of be giving somebody like him direction, but, you know, really showed just how professional he was. I mean, you know, he, you know, he would just, you'd say something kind of how you want and he would get it right away and and it would just be like, wow, it's perfect. So after a while, you know, it it was just felt kind of very natural and, and everybody was kind of in sync.
1: Can you talk about why you wanted Steve Wilson on this record?
2: Um... I know I wanted a horn player because a lot of the two, you know the the three originals I wrote you know were conceived for you know a quartet with a saxophone, and and I guess my first record had a, a tenor player on it, and I just kind of wanted to change it up too. So I was you know thinking, let me go for something different, um, you know, an alto player. And then you know I remember kind of brainstorming or and thinking of some people, and then uh, so you know somebody I know had recommended it, and then I just you know I I remember having heard him. I don't know if it was like a year ago or so. I, I went to a, a Christian McBride show actually at Birdland, and uh, I remember because I took my mother-in-law; who was in town from Ireland, and she, I said, uh, "You know, she wanted to check out some stuff." I said, "Oh, we can go to a jazz show." And Christian McBride was playing, and uh, he had—I can't remember what size the group was, but I don't know if you were—if you—if you know that album, he had like Warren Wolf on vibes, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Steve Wilson was on alto, and he was just so bad. I mean, he was killing it. And I was like, oh. And we had, you know, we had the seat. Our seats were kind of like off to the side. They weren't the best seats. But they kind of were because I was really close to Steve Wilson. So, you know, because he was standing off to the side. So I was like behind the piano. But Steve was close to the piano. And I just remember, you know, thinking like, oh, this guy was killing. Um, You know, and I had heard, you know, but I, wasn't, I was never really, really like uh, big into him. Because he's such a, you know, he's like this legendary side man, too. It's like he plays with everyone and he's just so good. But uh he's everybody owns a record that steve yeah Wilson's exactly on, might not know exactly right? <laughs> exactly so you know it's like he, he's such a great sideman, and i and i was like you know so somebody recommended you know what about steve wilson i was like yeah that that actually was like perfect you know because you know he's i knew he would just be comfortable with everything you know playing other people's arrangements so brilliantly and and i just really like his sound you know he's he's, he's a modern sounding player he's you know definitely firmly rooted in bebop but he's very funky i mean just like he's to me he's like so professional he's like amazing and everything he does just sounds top notch so it just you know it just worked out well so i i got in touch with him i think through his agent or something and you know it worked out then he was gracious enough to come in and his schedule you know he's such a busy guy and his schedule just worked out he was available for the one of those days and i think we kind of revolved the that day around when he could do it. You know, I know he was only in town for like a day or two and I sent him my charts, you know, I don't know how a couple weeks before the thing. And, you know, he came in and he just had everything. I mean, who knows if he sight read it there or not, because right? He's so good. I don't <laughs> care, but, but it was great, you know? So everything was good. And, you know, he would ask, you know, how was that? And if I said, you know, can I try this? He would absolutely. And, and then actually I really only hired him to do two tunes. And, uh, You know, I said, you know, Steve, for the one tune on the record, Autumn, I said, you know, I didn't actually intend originally. I think I gave him the music, but I said, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. And uh, I recorded it without him. I recorded it as a trio tune the first day. And then I said, you know what, would you mind maybe I'd really like to have some horns? Because if you listen to that tune, the horn is really just kind of like a... um, like a background kind of thing during uh, the bridge of the tune that kind of like overlaps. So we actually dubbed that in separately, and I really wasn't sure. I just said, man, since I got you here, would you mind just kind of laying some stuff down over the tune because I'm really hearing that um, in there. And he was like, yeah, absolutely, you know. And and I was like, oh, you know, I hope, you know, I feel bad because I kind of caught him on the spot. And I remember we all just kind of sat in the studio, and he just went in there, and he was kind of like thinking what to do for like, and then he just we played he played it and we all looked at each other and we're like, that's perfect. Like we have to, you know, we have to use that. <laughs> it was, it was like, you know, it was like sounded better on the tune than I did. And I was like, you know, it's a, so I was like, perfect. So we kept it in. So I, I kind of wanted that. It almost has a little more. That tune is a little more on the poppy. Well, it's like a ballad, but I almost it's got the, you know the acoustic guitar. So I almost was thinking of it as like a little more of a. I don't like to say commercial sounding, but you know it's got like the dubbed-in horn. I kind of wanted it to have that vibe. Um, it almost kind of—I was kind of thinking of like—I um, don't know if the album's called "Wish." The Pat Metheny, it's Joshua Redman and Pat Metheny, and there's—I don't, I don't know if the tune is "Wish," but it's, I remember it's on that record. I think there's like an acoustic guitar and, and saxophone thing, and I really kind of dug that vibe. So I, I was happy that that he did that yeah we kind of revolved the session because he was available that day so we said okay we'll do the quartet stuff on that day we'll do the trio stuff but yeah I, I don't remember exactly how it was kind of just somebody recommended it and then i remembered oh yeah i heard steve and you know i didn't even know if he would be available if he'd even want to do it you know he, he plays with the cream of the crop obviously and you know i'm sure he was like who is this guy eric devito but he was very gracious and his um agent was super nice and super cool Laura is her name and you know she was like yeah steve's available send us the stuff and and then you know he did my um he was nice enough he came and did the new york release at smalls in december um and that was awesome and you know he we kind of did it the same way he played he played more of the tunes than are on the record like we did about half and half i think he did about three or three or maybe three tunes per set um so he did like inner urge with us and a couple of other tunes that that were on the record trio tunes but since I had him there, I was like, you know, I'm going to use you. <laughs> so, uh, it was cool. And he, you know, for him to come out and do like a Sunday afternoon gig, you know, at Smalls for my record release was like super cool. He's like the nicest guy. He's like the sweetest guy, nicest guy. Um, so yeah, very blessed and honored to have him.
1: And someone I actually didn't know all that well is Mavis Swanpool. Say, say something yeah, about Yeah, Mavis
2: her. is, she's super cool, Mavis. Um, she was just at the, I did kind of like two release gigs. I did the one at Smalls, and then I did one, um, in uh, kind of towards the end of February at the Catano, which is like a, a club I really like, also. And I thought, you know, since the record has Steve and the record has Mavis, it would be kind of cool to do kind of two shows. And so I did one with Steve and one with Mavis. Um, I thought it would kind of be a lot to try to get them both on one gig. It would be a lot of switching, and you know how it can for a live gig. It could, you know, probably cut down on the amount of music I could end up doing at the gig. So I thought, let me split it up. You know, keep it different um so Mavis I actually didn't know um I was recommended through Corcoran the bass player she's good friends um with Corcoran and they play together a lot or I I think they you know they they had gigged together so I actually asked him I said you know I want to put a vocalist on this record and uh you know can you recommend somebody and you know he threw a few names at me but one that he was really recommended was Mavis and uh So I really hired her kind of sight unseen because, I mean, I listened to her stuff, but one of the things that I really remember is, um, she, she's, she's very soulful. You know, a lot of, some of her stuff that you, I would almost categorize as being kind of like soul or R and B, but her jazz singing is really, um, her range is really phenomenal. I was really struck by her range. And one of my favorite singers is Sarah Vaughn and, uh, Something about her kind of reminded me of that, especially when she was singing her like more traditional stuff, just her range and the deepness of her voice. And, and uh, you know, I always like Sarah Vaughan because her voice, she has her own style, but I feel like she really lets kind of, she's a little more transparent than some other singers whose kind of voice is so identifiable. You know, I'm thinking somebody like Ella Fitzgerald or Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett, who are some of my favorite singers also. But I almost feel like when you hear Sarah Vaughn, it's almost a little more understated and and a um, little more transparent for the music and her technique to come through um, instead of as much of like the timbre of the voice. I don't know. So I, I remember hearing her and just being like, wow, this really reminds me of Sarah Vaughan. Like she's very distinct. She has her own style, um, really nice nuance, but also her kind of there's like a transparency there where you really hear the music and not just the sound of of the voice. You know, she has such a beautiful sounding voice, but she can really change it. And and so, and I really like the funkiness of her voice. I mean, she's really able to kind of like, you know, groove and, and, um, so yeah, but I didn't, I hadn't like checked her out live or anything like that. And I just kind of, you know, I trust Corcoran and he was like, you know, she would do really, so I said, let's do it. Let's get her on. So she came to the session and, you know, she did, um, a duo. I wanted to have a duo tune, so we did Skylark as like a duo. So I kind of wanted to do do it in a little, you know, on the a little bit on the funkier side, like something a little more groove oriented, because I, I I remember hearing her do that and, and liking what she would do with that. And then I wanted to do just like a really straight ahead kind of thing. So when we do the title track the second time around. She, you know, I I almost had like a Sarah Vaughan kind of vibe on that, and she really picked up on that. You know, it was very straight ahead, the way we did that. Um So I wanted the two kind of tunes with the voice to be a little contrasting. So I was happy with that. And, yeah, she's very cool and very laid back. And, you know, she just also had a, a little baby. So um it kind of worked out, you know, good, because I think she had the kid right after the session. And then the gig that she did in February was like right after kid was born so I was lucky to kind of get her on both of those things so you know but yeah so I didn't know her before that and I was very pleased with her work she's a very very beautiful person very nice um, person and just a great musician
0: love is lovelier the second time around just as wonderful with both feet on the ground It's that second time you hear your love song sung Makes you think perhaps that love like youth Is wasted on the young Love's more comfortable the second time you fall Like a friendly home the second time you call can say what led us to this miracle we found there are those who bet love comes but once and yet i'm oh so glad we met the second time
1: you talk about some of the things that you're involved in musically around town
2: sure um i'm doing well since the record was out i've been you know trying to do as much kind of album release stuff so we went up to canada and did like a four city tour um in november um so i tried to hit like the Rex and gig space and some big you know big clubs in canada then we came back i did the the opening at smalls um and then just some kind of I try to do as much kind of trio stuff, you know, local stuff I, I was doing last year, a residency at the Flatiron Room, just kind of trio stuff. Um, I was doing a regular thing at uh, Tomy Jazz, which is like a club in Midtown. Um, so I hit a few regular, you know, try to do some regular spots. I like to try to get something monthly if I can, kind of keep keep things fresh. And um, Then I'm doing, I, I remember I just did a gig recently, um, like a Dixieland kind of thing for for Mardi Gras, um, where we were doing kind of like real early, early jazz stuff. So I've been trying to get into that a little more. Mostly I try to kind of do a mix of my own tunes with the trio or the quartet and then, you know, see what other kind of interesting projects I can put together. It's hard because, you know, I teach full-time also. I'm a music teacher, so um, it can get to be a lot. So I try to get, you know, the gigs. I, I don't kind of – sometimes I'll, I'll try to – Space gigs out a little bit, so you know I can try to get as many people to them as I can. Or if I, you know, find a place that I really wanted to play at, like I'm doing a show at the Garage next month, um, which is a club I like down in the West Village so I haven't played there in a while. And then um, I do like classical stuff too. I'm doing a actually I have a classical gig like in two weeks that I've been practicing a lot for, which I don't get to do as much. But um, the majority of the stuff I do, I try to do kind of, you know, with my trio jazz stuff. And maybe 25% I'll do like quartet gigs. And the rest of the stuff will just be maybe as a sideman or, or whatever I can do. Um, You know, I've done a while. A while back I was subbing on this uh kind of jazz dinner cruise thing out of uh, Chelsea Piers, like one of those. Spirit Cruise things, so I do stuff like that. Um, on occasion, I might be hired out as, like, a sideman for some people's projects. And then I do, you know, maybe a couple times a year only, really. I wish I could do more. I'll do, like, some classical guitar gig stuff. Um,
1: so I see the box lute suites. Yeah, Is that what you're yeah, playing I'm working, yeah, I'm working
2: on this. Uh, actually, every year I get hired to do this very cool gig. It's more like a background kind of gig. It's not like a featured thing, but um, this uh, Mount Sinai School of Medicine has this pig. Um, some kind of like reception or whatever and I just kind of became friends they, they hired me one year I don't know the, how they found me maybe on the internet and uh, so they They wanted just like a you know some guitar music for their reception and uh, one of the guys who was involved in hiring me happened to be a guitar player and he's a really nice guy so um, he always calls me for the gig every year so I actually look forward to, to it now and because I've been so busy with my record, I don't get to, you know, practice classical guitar as much. So whenever I get the gig, I, you know, I might have like a month and then I'm like, all right, now I gotta like, <laughs> Time you know, to go in the woodshed. get all, yeah. yeah, get all my Bach <laughs> suites and all that stuff. I really like that stuff. But, uh, you know, when I was at Crane, I, I was a classical guitar major. And, uh, you know, now I kind of just have to, you know, kind of cram it in a little bit and work yeah. it up towards the, towards the, uh, to the gig. So I, I would like to get some more of that stuff. So we'll see, but. You know, one one a year is keeps me busy enough with yeah. all my other stuff. But now, you know, now, actually I'm expecting a, a baby soon. So I'm curious to see now what that's going to do to my gig schedule if I'm going to be gigging less or maybe my wife's going to tell me to go gig more because we need you know so we'll see it's going to be interesting to that's to right. see how i uh, baby needs to eat so i right. better start working more yeah to see uh, i'll probably start calculating my gigs in terms of how many diapers they will buy so uh Fair it's going to be interesting to see kind of how you know that's a very uncharted territory for me what what in reality will be my kind of practice schedule if any and what will what will i you know feasibly be able to do gig wise yeah. so but plenty of people do it so I'll figure it out. I, I looked up
1: as you said that and noticed that I think over your head there are yeah. already diapers. <laughs>
2: yeah, was, yeah. actually, my friend Alyssa, when I was visiting her a few weeks ago and, and her and some other friends... Uh, sent us home with diapers so <laughs> nice. yeah that's them up there I yeah, keep so you, them on top yeah you of guys our... are
1: you guys are getting ready yeah that. that's great so there's you some... can
2: send your diaper donations <laughs> yeah. to uh eric devito the yeah there's a
1: harvard concise dictionary of music and yeah. right above it yeah. diapers that's
2: perfect <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's going to be the world i'm entering in soon so uh, we'll that's
1: great that. well there'll probably be a lot more inspiration for songwriting yes I'm betting, too yes. around that time so yes yeah for
2: sure i'm looking
1: uh eric tell folks where to find you online and
2: yeah, you can uh, check me out at www.ericdevito.com, and you can uh, check out, um, you know, bio kind of stuff. And um,
1: and we should mention that's DeVito with two eyes, not D-E. Correct, right? yeah, yes.
2: D-I-V-I-T-O. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, so ericdevito.com, and um, you can uh, check out lots of video and audio. There's links to the record. I got some cool press stuff on there, you know, press reviews of – um, and, of course, itinerary for upcoming shows and gigs like that and contact information. Um, some people, you know, reach out to me for lessons and via Skype or whatever, so I'm available for all that. And, yeah, you can check out the record uh, on iTunes, on Amazon, Spotify, cdbaby.com is the best place to get it, of course.
1: Great. Uh, and, folks, if you are driving or jogging or whatever, this all that stuff will be in the show notes of this show. So just go to jazzsession.com and you'll find all that there. My guest is Eric DeVito. The album is the second time around, and it's been really fun to meet you and hear about the album. Thanks so much for doing
2: it. Thank you for having me, Jason.
1: Music by Eric DeVito from his album The Second Time Around. Uh, Eric asked me to note uh, two things that he left out of the interview. One, that on his first record, which was called Breaking the Ice, his dad, New York artist Fred DeVito, did the cover art. And the second record, while it was designed by a graphic artist, the photography used on it was done by his wife, Maria DeVito. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. Speaking of art, thanks to Dave Rabel for the Jazz Sessions logo. If you need professional writing done for your business or artistic pursuit, please visit cranewrites.com. That's cranewrites.com to check out my work for many musicians and other people that you'll know and to get samples of all those things and contact me for rates and all that good stuff, visit cranewrites.com. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next week for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
0: thing everybody bye bye
1: bye, bye.